Good morning, everyone. I was reading an article uh, written by uh, experts that say uh, the human person uh, comes to knowledge uh, by three particular ways of doing it. I mean, they come to believe and understand certain things. And first of all, they said the first would be empirical evidence. They can see and touch and feel. Second one is by reasoning. They've come to reason that something. And the third one uh, is by testimony of another human person. Of the three, they said 75% of what a human will come to understand and acknowledge and believe comes from the third one, from testimony of somebody. I bring this up because the gospel begins with, and they devoted themselves to the testimony, the teachings of the apostles. I mean, they were coming together, and those are the men who got to see and feel Jesus like this. I mean, they just can go right up to him and touch him and stuff. The rest of us have to take their testimony because we don't experience Jesus in this way. And uh, my friends, uh, every, every year on this second Sunday um, in Easter uh, is this particular gospel, not a different one, this one, every year. By that, I mean... Uh, in our church, we have year A, B, and C. We're in year A, and the readings change, and the evangelist, but this one doesn't always. So there's this focus on uh, this account in the upper room, and particularly with Thomas. And um, uh, I look, because the secular world used to have phrases uh, that would reference him. They would say, don't be a doubting Thomas. Now, most people you can say that to, even if they're Christian or not, they know what you're talking about. Huh? Um, so, um, but uh, for us, uh, Thomas wasn't alone. The other boys, as I call them, were up in that room terrified also, the other apostles, and they weren't so believing either. So why there's focus on Thomas? Because Thomas was very verbal about it. You just heard him say, I won't believe. <laughs> the other ones didn't say that. He did. He kind of voiced what sometimes we think and feel. Uh, but he was setting himself up for some things. One of them, he was making conditions. I won't believe in Jesus Christ unless he... You guys can relate to that because some of you... I won't believe in Jesus Christ if he's real unless he gets me a job. I won't believe in Jesus Christ if he's not real unless he takes this... Right? So Thomas becomes very relatable in that sense. So we have this record, if you will, an exchange between Jesus Christ and... Thomas. And uh, through this exchange, we can understand what faith should be, maybe uh, what it should not be, meaning in contrast to what's being told us. So my friends, uh, I want to look at some of these aspects about Thomas. The first one, uh, the doubt is presented uh, in a way of hesitation. Um, he won't believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He says, I won't believe until I get to see him. Remember, he's not there the first time Jesus appears to the disciples. He's gone. Well, I don't know where he's at. He's probably mourning. This is his body. You know, he's in sorrow. But he says, I won't until I can see his body. And this, my friends, represents a transition that today the disciples, we you and I, have to make from needing to visually experience Jesus tangibly, that empirical, meaning to touch, and then we will to transcend to the invisible, um, to the sacramental uh, spiritual presence, 
as we would say, by sign and sacrament. Although we cannot see the Lord, He is truly present. He is really with us in our church and in our sacraments and in our life and in your life. But we need faith for this. Although we cannot see Him with our eyes, we can reach and experience Him through faith. And uh, that is what that second reading was getting at. It was saying, you will love Him even though you cannot see Him. You will know Him even though you cannot touch Him the way the original apostles did. So that means we have to move from physical sight to uh, spiritual sight. For salvation comes, as the second reading said, through faith in Jesus Christ. And uh, as Jesus says, and this is the only beatitude that happens uh, in John's gospel. Beatitude, uh, you know, remember the beatitudes, blessed are, blessed is. This is the only one that appears in John where Jesus says, Blessed are they who have not seen me, but believe. That's us. John states that through belief we will have life in Christ. He didn't say you will have the best time in this world. He said, he didn't say you won't, but he didn't say you would. He said what you will have is a new hope, a new way of walking in this world. The other aspect of doubt had to do with Jesus' body itself and his wounds. Thomas, although not right there at the cross, remember it's the three Marys and the beloved one, the other ones had taken, run off and hid. Thomas doubted that that execution and those wounds which he had seen would lead to glory. He knew and experienced pain. So he knew that that led to the death of his friend. But to a resurrection, he was having trouble with that. He was having a real tough time understanding this. So Thomas needed to see the body moving about. He needed to see the body, not just anybody, but a body with scars. And this is a thing that's kind of extraordinary for me. Jesus can walk through walls with his new glorified body, but he chose to keep his scars. He could have had that new glorified body without, but he keeps them. And uh, um, Thomas needs to see that, and even furthermore, he needs to touch it. He knew scars were real, and if the person appearing had those scars, he would believe that that is Jesus of Nazareth, his friend, Jesus the Christ, and that he truly rose in the body. I don't think Thomas had a problem about spirit. He had a problem with the body being alive again. But Jesus conquers human death, and he did rise up in body to the glory of his Father. And it is through Christian faith we can not only survive things like this and sufferings, but we can come to a place of peace about it, come to a new hope and a new life in these things. I believe that out of any kind of suffering or death, Jesus can bring new life. We just have to be open to it. <laughs> oh my, is he like that all the time? <laughs> That's a sign of life, my friends, so don't get grouchy about the, the little one making noise. Jesus suffered, died, and rose from the death to fullness of life. And through him, so can we, his disciples, who put our faith 
and our trust in him. My friends, the other aspect about Thomas um, was the crucified and risen, uh, was this idea of forgiveness. Remember, they all abandoned him. They were traitors. When they were asked, are you his friend? Are you his disciple? No, not me. Peter did it three times, as a matter of fact. So uh, this idea of forgiving, I can I understand this not only from my own personal, but also because I'm a priest and I hear confessions. And some of the things that people, not their sins, when they come in, I don't think Jesus can forgive this. What have you done that is so horrible? Even more horrible than that? Well, I just don't think he'll forgive me. So this is about you personally and not about him and what he does. Uh, and while it sounds flippant and arrogant, I'm trying to get people to this place where they, you've got to accept forgiveness. He came into this world to reconcile us with his Father. That's why he came. He came to forgive. If you're in a place where I just don't think he can forgive, oh man, you're going to be at a really terrible place for a long time. Yes, the disciples had denied and deserted Jesus, and Thomas found it difficult to believe, I believe this is part of it, that the Lord Jesus Christ could forgive them completely. And yet that is exactly what he does in that first opening scene. Uh, not scene, but the opening account in the gospel. So that brings us to us. Perhaps you and I then have doubts about his forgiveness. But this is a crucial part of the Christian faith. It is up there along with the resurrection. If you do not believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, uh, you are not a disciple. <laughs> you're, going to be, you're going to be in a dark place also. In the same way, if you do not believe that he forgives you when you ask for it, <laughs> that you're in the same spot you were, we were in before he came. <laughs> it makes no sense. It is a crucial part of Christianity, our life as individuals and as a community. My friends, uh, it's not always ideal in this world, and Christianity is not a shield or immunity from suffering. We experience that. But His grace and his, He gives us new hope as a second reading. You have a new hope. And he goes on to say, I protect that, Jesus, meaning I protect that. I have it for you in heaven, where by faith you will receive in full this gift, this promise. The grace of our Lord's forgiveness gives us the confidence then to walk in newness and to have healing and to have a new start. For some of us, it's a new start. I've witnessed people come into the confessional, on the other hand, they are crying. I always tell them, when you leave, stop crying. It's bad for business. They're going to think Father has done something terrible to you or given you a horrible penance. But instead, they're crying because they know they've been forgiven and they can start anew. The forgiveness we receive then in the sacrament of reconciliation and through worthy reception of the Eucharist gives us the grace to walk in that newness of life now, in that new hope, to grow in faith, and to do what our Lord has done and what he asks of you, to extend peace to others, to forgive others, to help to heal others, to love others.
part of the lesson I think found in the gospel today uh, with this encounter with Christ is that we need to walk by faith and not by sight. And my friends, and I'm just going to throw this out there. This is for me as your pastor. Thomas sees Jesus and he can touch him. I mean, he put his finger right into the marks, into the scar marks. You would think that that would be enough, wouldn't you? If Jesus showed up here in body and you could touch him and he said, here, put your hand in there. I know, oh, that'll be enough for me, Father. I'll never sin again. Yeah. Yeah, that's not going to work because it didn't work here. You would have thought it was enough, but apparently it was not. Um, so my friends, just very humbly and gently, the sight of Jesus in visions may or may not save you. But having belief in him will. And living a life of that belief is guaranteed. It's in the scripture. Jesus, when you have faith in him, will always save. And faith is not just about acknowledging that he existed, but by living your life according to it and to trust him. We come to understand that the Lord Jesus desires to forgive and reconcile us so that we can receive that forgiveness when we approach him with humility and acknowledge, as Jesus tells us, blessed are you who have not seen me this way, but have believed nonetheless. It is through faith that we can come to know his salvation, know his forgiveness, know his peace, know his love, know his grace. Friends, uh, in John's gospel, I'll make this the final piece. For us as Roman Catholics and the Orthodox Church, because they have the same sacraments as we do, um, the institution of the sacrament of reconciliation, penance, confession, as some, um, John says that Jesus, when he entered the room that was locked, he breathed on the apostles and gave them power to forgive sins using a word that appears nowhere else in the New Testament, breathed. If you search, you will not find it in the New Testament, just this one time. However, it, the word appears twice in the Old Testament. The same word in Greek is used in Genesis 2-7, where God breathed into Adam and gave him life. The word is also found in Ezekiel, the prophet, in a vision of a vast plain of dried, dead people, bones, where once the Spirit of God breathed on the withered bones and the bones took on strength and flesh and was restored to life. This is not by chance. This is deliberate that John uses that word. He used the word to suggest that this forgiveness involves a new creation also giving those who are dead in sin new life. New life. That's what he's trying to communicate by this one word breathed into them. And that power has been given by Christ to his church. And remember, that sanctifying grace that we have in baptism, it gets uh, renewed when we fail by the forgiveness that is in the reconciliation. And my friends, remember, one of the things that got Jesus on that cross and executed was he said, I forgive you. That was reserved to God alone. 
So when he said, your sins are forgiven, walk. And now he's given that beautiful power and grace and love to his church in a very sacramental way, but he has also given it to each of you disciples to forgive those who hurt you and harm you. That is a power you have, and you don't need the other person to ask. You can just do it. When someone harms me, I just forgive because I don't need any help not getting into heaven. <laughs> so the first thing I do is I forgive you and I walk away. The Lord love you. You're his child. <laughs> and I walk, I walk away because Jesus said, if you do not forgive, my Father will not forgive you. So I don't need any help. I, I'm a, I do enough on my own to get me in trouble with the Father, uh, not this thing. So no, recognize the power you have. If you say, I will not forgive until you ask for it, you've given all the power to the person who's hurting you because they're never going to do it. Most people, I'm never going to say I'm sorry. Then you're locked. Then, what, then you're stuck, aren't you? No, you're not. You just say, I forgive you, and I don't need your permission. Hmm. <laughs> Love you. Walk away. Just walk away. Don't walk away. Don't fight with them. And my friends, the other piece uh, which you might have missed was John says, Jesus did a whole bunch of other stuff that I didn't write in this book. Aren't you curious as to what it was? I am so curious. What, did, what was he doing? What did he do? Did he move a mountain? Did he, what did he do? He did something. But John says, I'm not putting it in this book. It was just for his disciples. Darn it. That's okay. That's all right. The other thing uh, is found in the first reading. Did you catch the community? The community comes together and they were listening to the word of the apostles, and they had meals together. Broke bread is the, um, they broke bread together. That was the code word for the Eucharist because they could be murdered back in their days if they did this. So they used a code word. They didn't use, they said breaking bread. And when you hear that, Eucharist, Mass, and they had everything in common. Everything, they shared everything. So brother, what you got for me? Right? We're a community. What you got? What you got in your wallet? <laughs> Mom, what you got in purse? Brother, what you got for me? At the last Mass, I said, who owns the yacht that's on the harbor? Because Father wants to go. <laughs> or that Bugatti that comes to the parking lot once in a while. Father wants to go for a ride in that. <laughs> well, my friends, I joke and make light of the physical things. But there is something that they had that we do not have now. Unity. They were together as one. There are 32,000 denominations of Christians in the world. And we are not united. The one thing Christ asked of us, Father, that they would be one. We need to give him what he wants. Christians need to stop fighting with each other. Because the world is watching and they love it. They also do not like the Abrahamic faiths. The Abrahamic faiths are Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. If you're Buddhist, we love you. If you're Islamic, mm -mm, that's not much. If you're Jewish, you already see what's happening. If you're Christian, we can't stand you. And even worse, if you're Catholic, we really despise you. See? Christians need to come together. You need to stop fighting with each other come together, because the world is going to be coming after us. Huh? Amen? Amen?